So this heart is spoken for, amen? Amen? Your heart is spoken for. Amen? You belong to Him. Holy, completely, utterly, totally. Yeah, I love that song. It's hard to sing, but I love it. I love it. Uh, it's a beautiful song. So I have a question for you. We'll begin with a question tonight. Uh, hopefully no, not too much pressure on you. True or false, human life is all about God. True or false? Yes or no? True. So I hear, I hear a smattering of, of those of you who think it's true. I, I, I knew that I would hear it's true because, I mean, you're in church. What are you going to say, right? I mean, come on. You're in church, so you get a question like that, and of course you have to say it's true. Let me ask you, is it true on Monday? It's true today. We're in church. It's the right thing to say. But let me ask you, is it true on Monday for you? Is your life all about God? Is it, is it true on Tuesday? How about Friday night, downtown Milan? Is life all about God then? Or is it just like a Sunday thing? Um, how about if it's a... Let's just say it's a really good day. A really good day. Everything's working perfectly. Is it all about God or is it all about what you've accomplished? What if it's a really hard day? What if it's one of the hardest days you've ever lived? Is it all about God? Or are you tempted to complain and grumble against God in all the countless blessings of our lives and in all the really hard things of our lives? Is it all about God for you? I mean, really? At the... At the end of the day, is it all about God for you? Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we live it or not, human life is, let me tell you, on the authority of the Word of God, an ordained pastor in the ministry, human life is all about God. It's not about anything less than Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.16 is true every day. We were made by Him and someone tell me. For Him. You know that, right? You were made by Him and for Him. Every day you get up, every day I get up, it's about Christ. This is a biblical truth. Don't you hate it when ignorant and arrogant and haughty men rail at God because the world's so messed up. I hate that. And I know... Some do it out of complete and utter ignorance. So I try to have patience. But don't you hate it when men rail at God? Now my Bible says, I don't know what your Bible says, but my Bible says God put us in paradise. I don't know, is that what your Bible says? God put us in paradise, but it wasn't good enough for us. We wanted something else. Right? Is that what your Bible says? That's what my Bible says. God put us in paradise. But we wanted something else. Yeah, we got it, didn't we? We've gotten something else. The world's not messed up because God's messed up. The world's messed up because you're messed up. And I'm messed up. And the human race is messed up as it chose to rebel against God. It's what happens when men and women forget It's all about God. That human life, 
I exist because it pleases God. I don't exist because I willed myself into existence. I exist only because it pleases God. He thought me up. He designed me. He planned me. He brought my mom and dad together. And bam, here I am. It was all of God. I'm only here. This is His planet. I breathe His air. I eat His food. I exist at His good pleasure. It's all about Him. We were created by Him and for Him, beloved. I hope you know that and I hope you believe that and I hope that you live that. But mankind has forsaken God. You guys know the great text, Jeremiah 2.13. They have forsaken Me, God says. The fountain of living water to hewn for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, once a man makes his life about anything less than God, he's drinking from a dry well. And I suspect in a crowd this size, some of you are attempting to drink from a dry well. You think it's not all about God, that it's mostly about you. And you're out in the world and you're drinking from some dry well that will never satisfy your thirst. It will never satisfy your thirst. You've been deceived. You think it's about you. It's not about you. It's about an awesome God. And it's about what God wants to do in you and through you. That's what it's always all about. Beloved, we need to, we should know and understand these things. You know, it's the Mick Jagger syndrome. What's his most famous song ever? Some of you older people will know. It's the Mick Jagger syndrome. The whole world's trying to drink from a dry well and they can't get any satisfaction. Amen? You guys know it. You know you have friends and colleagues out there. We have true satisfaction. Because we, we understand who we are. We understand why we are. We understand what it's all about. <laughs> right? It's about a beautiful God. I get to know Him. I get to love Him. I get to honor Him in my life. Beloved, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. I want to share a quote with you from John Piper. I share this quote maybe once or twice a year. It's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, it's a little bit lengthy, so I want you to, I want you to stick with me on this because I, I want you to get all of it. John Piper is a famous preacher in the States. Uh, well-known author, uh, speaker, uh, probably most of you know his name. He says this, human life is all about God. That is the meaning of being a human being. It is our created nature to make much of God. It is our glory to worship the glory of God. When we fulfill this reason for being, we have true substance. There is weight and significance to our existence. Knowing and enjoying and thus displaying the glory of God is a sharing in the glory of God. Not that we become God, but something of His greatness and beauty is on us as we realize this purpose for our being. Now, the born-again Christian in here is understanding this statement. I mean, you know, you're like going, yeah, that's right. That's, I understand that, he continues. Not to fulfill this purpose for human existence is to be a mere shadow of the substance we were created to have. A mere echo of the music we were created 
to make. Yeah, it's the Jagger syndrome. Piper concludes, this is a great tragedy for you not to know who made you and why He made you. This is a great tragedy, an individual tragedy for you in your life and obviously a tragedy for all of mankind not to know this. Piper continues and closes out. Humans are not made to be shadows and echoes. We know that, don't we? We know this world's too small for us. We inherently and viscerally know it. This world's not big enough to satisfy me. I need something more. Ecclesiastes 3.11 God put eternity in my heart and I can feel it, man. i got to have Him, right? i got to have God. This is too small for me. He goes on, but when humans forsake their Maker and love other things more, they become like the things they love. They become small, insignificant, weightless, inconsequential, and God-diminishing. You know, when you give your love and your affections to something in this world or someone in this world to a greater degree than you do to the Lord Jesus Christ, Piper's right, it's God-diminishing. And here's the deal. You lose. Nobody else loses but you when you make that tragic mistake. Now, there's a bunch of beautiful theology and even anthropology in this statement. But I hope that we, we, we have some understanding, at least superficial understanding of what he's trying to tell us. Human life is all about God. It's the preeminent meaning of being a human being. You know, it should, be on the, it should be the headline of every newspaper every day. It's all about God. Don't forget. You know, every newscast. It's all about God. Don't forget. It's all about Christ. Of course, we know the world is operating in a different kind of context. So let me just ask you, have you understood this? More importantly, have you incarnated this? Is this who you are in the world? People look at you and they hear your words, they watch your deeds, and they go, man, you know what? I think, I think they believe it's all about Christ. I see it. I hear it. I smell it. I taste it in their life. I, it's this aroma. Jesus is just, you know, the smell of Jesus is coming off their life. Or would you say that your, your life is really more of a shadow or an echo of that truth, biblical truth. I'm going to say it one more time from Piper's statement. When human beings forsake their Maker and love other things more, their lives become small like the things they love. Uh, as I thought about these things, I thought of you know, Psalm 119 came to my mind. You guys will remember the famous verse. The psalmist says, I will run the way of Thy Word, O Lord, and You will enlarge my heart. Amen? Every born-again believer in here understands that. God is enlarging my heart. It gets bigger all the time. The more time I spend with Him, the bigger it gets. Right? The bigger it gets. And yeah, I have no limitations. I have no limitations uh, in this life or the next. I have no limitations. God is enlarging my heart. To believe Him more, to know Him more, obey Him more, worship Him more, adore Him more, treasure Him more. 
My heart is perpetually enlarged as I you know, spend time in the Word and in prayer and as I, as I, I, as I obey and serve this awesome God. And this is what Paul's saying to us in Philippians. <laughs> Paul's been saying to us for the last couple of chapters. Man, my heart is so big, you can't have my joy. Right? That's what we've been seeing in, in the last three or four uh, sermons on, on this chapter. My heart is so big, you can't have my joy. You can beat me. You can whip me. You can imprison me. You can stone me. But you can't have my joy. My joy comes from God. My joy comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. No more Jagger syndrome for the born again. Jesus called it the abundant life. It's that enlarged heart thing. <laughs> that's what it is. I, I, that's, a, that's, I guess, shorthand for, you know, for, for the, the enlarged heart. It's the abundant life. And Paul had a huge heart. You just couldn't keep him down. And beloved, this is part of what God is saying to us. We said it, we've been saying it the last couple of weeks. We are Nike. Now, those of you who were here last week, you'll remember. What, what does Nike mean? Someone tell me. We are unconquerable conquerors. That doesn't mean we may not be martyred. Yes, we may be martyred. Yes, we may be sawn in two. Yes, that may happen. But all to the glory of God. God will meet us in the martyrdom. And God will be honored in the martyrdom. Right? Probably none of us in here will be martyred. Maybe some of us have come from a context where that would be a possibility. But God is honored in that. And God meets us. All you got to do is read the account of Stephen, man. Jesus was with Stephen. Jesus was with Stephen. Jesus hadn't abandoned Stephen. Jesus was with Stephen. So Paul has an enlarged heart and he's calling you to live like you. You have an enlarged heart too. He's calling me to live like that. You know, I read this passage and I realize God is saying, Jim! You know? Live it huge! Live your Christianity huge! Live it like you really believe it! Like you really believe I'm Creator. Like you really believe I'm Redeemer. Like you really believe I'm coming back. Like you really believe I've, I've prepared an, an unspeakable and inexpressible inheritance for you. Live like you believe I'm sovereign. Live like you believe I'm omnipotent. Live it. Every day when you go to work, every day uh, as you work in the home, every day when you're at university, I think this is one thing the Lord is saying to us. He's calling us to live with an enlarged heart. It's a Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die dies gang. I think, I think that that, that uh, verse, you could just superimpose it over the whole book of Philippians. Philippians one. 21, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Last week, Paul told us not to be anxious for anything. Now, why can the true believer not be anxious for anything? Why is that a reality? Why should that be a reality in our life? Why can we do that? Why can we throw off anxiety? Why? Anybody? Yeah, our God's God, right? Our God's God, He does whatever He pleases. He's an omnipotent God. He's As Karen and I were talking about this week, He's... He's El Shaddai. He does whatever He pleases in heaven and earth. And He's my Father. He's a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. Why should I be anxious for anything? And Jesus said it in Matthew 6. We talked about it last week. 
Jesus said five times in ten verses, don't be anxious. So let me ask you, as I asked the crowd last week, all 20 of us last week, we were bursting at the seams. It's like that in international church sometimes. Sometimes you have five people, sometimes you have 50 people. You never know what's going to happen. But anyway. So, what was I saying? I got lost. Why are you anxious? We talked about it last week. It's a sin against God. It betrays a, a low view of God. I don't believe God can show up or will show up or that He's able to provide for me in this circumstance. It, so Paul told us last week, don't be anxious for anything. Don't be anxious for anything. He says, bring it all to God in prayer with, in supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and there's this awesome promise, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Beloved, when anxiety comes on you, and it will come on you, we still are dealing with our fallen flesh, you're, you're to throw it off. As you preach to yourself from the Word of God and as you come to God in prayer. And you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6? <laughs> he said... What does the Christian do? What does the believing man or woman do? What's the first thing we do? We get up and we worry, right? Jesus said, seek what first? What do we seek first? Seek me first. And I'll take care of the rest. We'll take care, I'll be with you. And we'll get the rest taken care of. Seek me first. I'm going to ask you. Is that a reality in your life? Paul says, I've learned the secret. You can't have my joy. You cannot have my joy. I don't care what you do to me. You cannot have my joy. Human life is all about God and that's how I'm living my human life. Even if I'm in prison, <laughs> it's all about Christ. That's why I'm in prison, actually. It's why He's in prison. Because He preaches the Gospel. You can't have His joy. Whether it's a day of, of, uh, of abundance and blessing or a day of need and trial, Paul says you can't have my joy. He's got that enlarged heart. So I'm going to ask you, are you, living, are you walking around with an enlarged heart? An enlarged spiritual heart? If you're looking at Christ, you will be. If you are in relationship with Christ, you will be. If you are hopelessly in love with Christ, you will be. You will be. I'm not saying we're perfect. We're not perfect. But you will have this compelling drive to know Him and to love Him, to honor Him. This is what biblical Christianity is about. You heard the text read. Paul says, But I rejoice, verse 10, chapter 4, Philippians, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned. You know, <laughs> sometimes people think, well, I became a Christian, so I, I know everything, and everything's going to be good, and I'll know how to... No, you, you know, you have to walk it. So I, I just want you to understand. Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. Wow, this is a huge statement, right? I mean, this is a huge statement. 
Could you own this statement for yourself? This is just a huge, it's a huge statement. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord. We saw it a couple of weeks ago. He says, I stand firm in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord. That was verse 1 of chapter 4. Then verse 4 of chapter 4, he says, I rejoice in the Lord. He says it again. I rejoice in the Lord. He's all about the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord. God is His fuel. This is the 14th time in the book of Philippians that Paul has mentioned joy or rejoicing. The man's in prison. The man's chained between uh, two Roman soldiers. The man is subject to having his head cut off. He's being slandered in the church. (laughs) He says, I rejoice in the Lord, man. God is so real to me. Right? It's that enlarged heart thing, man. (laughs) It's that that, uh, enlarged heart. It's non-stop rejoicing. Yeah, it doesn't say... Chapter 4, verse 4 doesn't say, I rejoice in the Lord when everything's going great. It doesn't say that, does it? The Bible doesn't say that. Paul doesn't say that. I don't rejoice in the Lord just because circumstances are good. I rejoice in the Lord whether they're good or not. Circumstance doesn't matter. It's what we talked about last week. I am an inside-out guy. Paul's an inside-out guy. There was so much going on in that enlarged heart of his, in that relationship with Jesus, right? You couldn't put out his his joy. It it didn't really matter what was going on out here, right? Paul was an inside-out guy, as every true believer should be. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not when it's convenient. Not when it fits my schedule. I rejoice in the Lord always. I saw a pastor, I have a friend on YouTube, he's a pastor over in the States, and he he wrote this little uh, excerpt about, you know, seemingly in much of the modern church, God's just kind of a hobby. It's like, God, Jesus is my hobby. If it doesn't conflict with anything else I want to do or need to do or think I ought to do, then, yeah, I'll show up. I'll, I'll be part of the body of Christ. I'll be involved in the body of Christ. I'll, I'll work in the body of Christ. He's, he's talking about this, it just stuck in my head, this God hobby thing. Beloved, Jesus Christ can't be your hobby. He can't be your religious hobby. <laughs> he can't be. If He's not your God and your Lord, I don't think you've met Him. He can't be a hobby. Other things never trump Christ. Nothing ever trumps Christ. Nothing. I'm not saying we don't make mistakes in judgment. Certainly we all do. But what I'm trying to do is impart to you this superficial attitude that I see. I've been in ministry for 29 years. I've seen it. And I don't want any of us to make this same mistake. Don't let God be a spiritual hobby for you. Commit your life to Him. He says, I rejoice in the way, I rejoice in the Lord always. So, what does always mean? What does that mean? What does always mean? What does it mean, Orazio? Always! So, if there's any confusion, I, you know, people are always saying, well, Jim, that's your interpretation. Oh, I hate that. 
And, and I understand, legitimately, sometimes there's some hard scripture and there can be a couple of different takes on things. I get that. I understand that. I respect that. Good men can disagree. But most of the time, the Bible is quite clear. On all the essentials, it's very clear. We rejoice always. You guys know what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. I do not lose heart. Yeah, it's the enlarged heart thing. He says, though my outer man is decaying, my inner man is being renewed day by day, these momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Paul goes on to say, I'm not looking at this world, I'm looking at the next. Amen? I've been challenging you on this the last few weeks. Are you really looking at the golden shore? Are you looking at the bema seat? Or are you just down here? You, you can't really live for Christ. You really can't be a disciple of Christ if you're just down here. You've got to be looking there. You know, you, you can't get lost in the weeds. We can't get lost in the weeds, beloved. If you think it's about here, and the day doesn't go just like you want, you're going to have a pout going before you know it. You're going to get a pout going. If you think it's all about you, you're going to get a pout going. You're going to begin to grumble. You're going to begin to complain. You're going to be in discontent. This is one reason we have to... It's about, you know, it's about Christ. It's not simply about me and my circumstance. Because if we really do think it's about us, we will complain ultimately against God. So in verse 10, Paul thanks the Philippians for the gift that they had sent to him. Uh, he thanks them for their concern. Verse 11, he says, Not that I speak from what, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. Blessing or trial, abundance or need, I am content with what my Father has provided. I ask you, are you content? Are you a content person? It's one of the hallmarks of true conversion. I am content in all things. Even the hard things, I am content. You know what Paul told Timothy about contentment over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. He says, if you have food and covering, be content. Are you content? I bet everybody in here, most, most internationals, yeah, most of you guys do okay. I'm doing okay. Are you content? Or are you grumbling against God for some reason? Are you unhappy with God for some reason? The Bible says if you have food and you have covering, be content. So I ask you, are you content in what God has provided for you? I love, I was reading John MacArthur's commentary, another famous preacher in the States, on this passage. And, and he said, um, every time I see a discontented person, my first reaction is to give them a lesson on the sovereignty of God and not try to fix their problem. Because discontentment is not a circumstantial problem for the Christian. It's a spiritual problem for anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ. It is a spiritual problem. You're not supposed to be discontent in your spirit. You're supposed to be filled up with Christ. Beloved, that's, that's who we are. So if you 
are filled with discontent, you have a huge spiritual problem. This is not about circumstance at all. It's about where your soul is. It's about where your mind and your heart is with God. That's what it's really about. A discontented person needs to look at Christ. And if you really look at Christ in the Word, under the preached Word, if you're really looking at Jesus, I was listening to a pastor on YouTube this week. Yeah, that's what I do in my spare time. And he was talking about, you know, the importance of actually gathering together as the body. This is what we're commanded to do. But he said, you know, it's easy if you, if you, if you hold yourself away from the body, you know, sends it to really get a foothold in your life. But when you sit under the preached Word, God does something in the preached Word. He, he ordained this. I didn't make this up. Nobody made this up. It's in the Word of God that a called man of God would preach to the body. He does something in this that doesn't happen anywhere else. And this pastor was making this point. Yeah, you can sit at home on the internet and listen to a sermon, but you don't get this dynamic. The Holy Spirit is here in a way that He's not there with you. He's here among us. You know, you can't be a Lone Ranger Christian is one thing, that, one of the points that he was making. So discontentment is always a spiritual issue. It's a small God issue. Because when you really believe that God is a sovereign, omnipotent, almighty God, an unassailable God, a vast granite fortress God, a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God, you don't need anxiety and you certainly don't need discontentment. I think this is one of the things that we learn from Scripture. In the face of the most disheartening trial, Paul is content. Why is Paul content? Because he's content in God. And obviously, this is the point that I'm trying to drive home. What is the ultimate lesson of Job? We talked about it Thursday night in young adult Bible study, and I know the women are also studying the book of Job presently. What is the ultimate lesson of, of Job? You know, Job finally gave up his desire for an explanation. All the way through the book, he wants an explanation. He wants God to explain this. But at the end, he finally says, of course, God shows up. <laughs> God shows up and doesn't explain anything, right? God shows up and asks Job a few questions, right? But what's the ultimate lesson? What's the ultimate lesson in the book of Job? It's Job's contentment in God. Because when God comes, Job says, Now I see thee. And, and you know, the, the, the joy and the the power of that moment, it's palpable to me on the in the text. This encounter that Job has with God, it overrides everything else. This relationship, this enlarged heart, this enlarged view of God, it overrides every circumstance in his life. And beloved, this is what Paul's calling us to. This is what the Holy Spirit's calling us to tonight. It's what the Holy Spirit is calling us to. As Romans 8.28 is true, Every day. Someone tell me what it is. I know you, some of you have it memorized. What is it? Romans 8.28. We know what? That God causes all things to work together for good 
that those who love God, those called according to His purpose. Now, the Bible doesn't say we think, we hope, we believe, we suppose, we assume, we imagine. The Bible says we know it. And if we really know it, we will incarnate it. We will not waste our time with anxiety and discontentment. And when anxiety and discontentment comes on us, we will throw it off as we preach to ourselves and as we get before God in prayer, as Paul says, with thanksgiving. We do not entertain those things. Paul's content with being in prison. He's content with being chained to a Roman soldier. He's content to be subject to Caesar. He may have his head cut off at any moment. But God is working good. He believes Romans 8.28. He'd written Romans, Romans three years before he wrote the book of Philippians. So, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he knows about Romans 8. 28. Yes, he could be more content in his circumstances, but not any more content in God because he is wholly content in God. And really, that's one of the, the main points of tonight. I am challenging you. The Lord is challenging me. Jim, are you content in me? Are you really? Or are you simply content when it goes well? This is an important question for us, beloved. It's an important question for each of us to consider. So Paul's content in whatever circumstance he is in. God is his contentment. Verse 11, uh, Paul says he's learned it as I made mention of earlier. He's learned this. And we talked about this last week. You know, it's natural for, for, uh, for us not to be content. We could have 10,001 blessings in our life, and we would be discontent with the two or three things that weren't perfect. Is that not true? And I think Paul is calling us, the Holy Spirit is calling us, not to operate at that superficial level. If we have two or three things in our life that aren't as we would desire for them to be, we give those to God in prayer, and then we are thankful for the innumerable and the, the blessings that we cannot begin to count you know, if you had the time and the discipline to sit down and just list your blessings, you could not do it, humanly do it. You couldn't do it. If you thought deeply about it at all, you couldn't do it. So are you telling me you're going to waste your day worrying about the three things that are wrong? Are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> when there's so much to be thankful for. You guys know what I'm saying. Paul says, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. I get that. I've learned that. It's not about circumstance. It's about an enlarged heart. It's about a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Paul says I can live with scarcity. I can live with abundance. He says I can navigate both. I can do both. I know how to have an abundance which God says can be a snare, right? We know that prosperity can be a snare. Paul says, I know how to navigate uh, prosperity. I know how to navigate poverty. I know how to do it. It's what he's saying. This is good theology. He's learned the secret. If prosperity comes, I praise my beautiful God because He is working good in my life. If poverty comes, I praise my beautiful God because He's working good in my life. Amen? Or does it just have to be good for you to praise God? 
Or will you praise God like Job? On the day that you can't imagine a worse day, will you worship like Job worshipped? Will you? Is that in you? Do you get that? Are you good with that? Is it okay if God does whatever God does, but you're going to love Him anyway? Beloved, this is real Christianity. <laughs> it's not this superficial garbage that is so prevalent in much of the world, this you know, prosperity gospel garbage. It's garbage. It breeds discontent. The prosperity gospel breeds discontent. God says, my people love me so much. And we'll just use Job. If every blessing is gone, Job still loves God. And I'm asking you, as God has required of me as I prepared for this lesson, is that true? Is that true for you? Do you know and love God like that? Do you treasure God to that Degree. I was reading these verses and I was thinking about these things and I thought, oh, it's just too bad that Joel Osteen wasn't around to explain this to Paul. That all he has to do is think positive thoughts and all he has to do is name it and claim it. Paul, don't you know God wants you to be rich? Paul, I guess Paul didn't know. I guess Paul didn't know how to name it and claim it. Because I bet he, Paul had a harder life than all of us in here combined will ever have. And he was content in the providences of God. Beloved, I, I challenge you again, will you be content in the providences of God? Because He seeks to honor you, or pardon me, honor Himself in your trial. We, we said it three or four times recently. In 1 Peter, you see that God says it's necessary. Your trial is necessary. He's a, you know, what is Satan trying to do in Job's life? What's, what's he trying to do in the Christian's life when, when the trial comes? What's Satan trying to do? We know what he's trying to do. He's trying to overthrow our faith. He's trying to show the world that we only believe in God because it's good for business. Because we think we'll get more blessings than if we don't believe in God. Or if we don't believe in Christ. But Satan's trying to overthrow the faith of Job. And every true Christian that's ever walked the earth, Satan's trying to overthrow that faith. But what is God doing? In the same instance, what is God doing? What is God doing? He's establishing your faith. <laughs> He's putting it through the fire. He's burning off the dross. And as, as he says there in 1 Peter, it's necessary. These things are necessary. Trials are necessary for you. So as we've been talking about, we, you know, when the trial comes, we're not surprised. We know it's coming. We're, ex we're ready for it. We're ready for the trial as it comes to us. John MacArthur tells a story about uh, a woman who left his church in Southern California. She went down the road to a name it and claim it church. And, and uh, about three years later, she came back. And MacArthur said, well, what would you come back for? She goes, they won't let me be poor and they won't let me be sick. Apparently, she didn't have enough faith or she wouldn't be sick or she didn't have enough faith or she wouldn't be poor. That was the message. And so she came back to a Bible-preaching church. They wouldn't let her be content in the providence of God. They wouldn't let her be content in humble circumstance. They wouldn't let her be content in a, what God was doing in her life. So the famous Protestant catechism says 
The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And God really expects you to enjoy Him. Whether it's a day of great blessing or a day of great trial, you are called to enjoy Him. Are you ready to enjoy Him? Are you ready to enjoy Him? Paul has learned the secret. He is immune to the Jagger syndrome. He will always be satisfied with God. It doesn't matter what's happening out here. It just doesn't matter. Verse 13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Maybe, the, maybe one of the most beloved verses in all the Bible. God says in all things, in all, Paul says in all things, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. It doesn't matter how difficult the circumstance is. You remember the litany over in 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says, I've been beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times receiving 39 lashes, three times beaten with rods, once stoned, three times shipwrecked, ubiquitous, ubiquitous dangers from rivers, robbers, Jews, Gentiles, city, uh, in the city, in the wilderness, at the sea, uh, uh, from false Christians. This man... Wow, what a life he led. <laughs> he went through all this. That's 195 lashes on the back. If you add that up, if you do the math, he says, I am content. I am content. I am so in love with Christ. I am as content, you know, on that 195th lash as I was on the first. You can't beat it out of Paul. It's a great, obviously a great testimony. Paul says, I have learned this to be true. I have learned it to be true. Sometimes I hear Christians say, well, I don't know if I could go through that. I don't know what I would do if that happened. I don't know if I could make it. Listen, just you know, in Philippians chapter 4, listen to what we've heard uh, the, the Apostle say. Verse 1, stand firm in the Lord. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing through prayer. prayer. Verse 7, let the peace of God guard your heart. <coughs> yes, believer, whatever that dreaded thing is, that most dreaded thing that may happen in your life, you can make it because God will meet you in the hard place. God always meets His people in the hard place. He always does. Find a place in the Bible. You go read your Bible. You come back and tell me if you can find one place in the Bible where God doesn't meet His people in the hard place. He will meet you in your trial. He will meet you in the hard place. Let me finish with Ephesians 3.16 and 20. Let me just read it to you. Paul writes to the Ephesians that God would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. I've always loved this verse. Beloved, whether it's a hard day or, or a day of great blessing, 
God is always doing the same thing in each believer's life. It's what it says here in Ephesians 3. He's filling you up with the fullness of God. The only question is, do you believe Him and do you trust Him? Will you believe Him and will you trust Him? What a great text. You, I tell you, as your pastor, on the authority of the Word of God, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen? So don't you dare go out there and live you know, a timid Christian life. You are free. You have license. Go live like it. Go be a disciple. Go be a disciple. What a great text. I love this text. We're going to celebrate the table tonight. The way we do this